Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, some great things coming up on the show. Stay tuned. Whoops, there goes the economy, Prime Minister, Mr. Chancellor. Well, the UK government shot itself in the foot this week with its mini-budget. And it's all to do with going out of process and not taking advice. So, quite a basic error, really. But it's been very costly. It's driven the pound down to its lowest ever currency exchange rate against the dollar at just over 103 at one time. But it's back to 112 and on the rise back. It pushed interest rates up, so as they rose, of course, that puts everyone's costs up. Anyone with a loan, costs going up. Even the government, who were intending to fund the budget deficit from bonds, gilts. And the Bank of England had to step in and push about £65 billion into the economy to protect the bond market, because pension funds were coming under pressure. As you probably know, as... Interest rates rise, the price of bonds falls, and if you've got them as an asset on your balance sheet, as many pension funds have, then that severely weakens your balance sheet. So it's uh, it's been a bit of a disastrous week economically for the pound, and for businesses and consumers and everybody living in the UK. As mortgage offers have melted away, housing markets under severe pressure, pension funds were under pressure, Mortgage products withdrawn. There's about half of the mortgage products have been withdrawn in a single week. So quite disastrous in the way the whole thing's been handled. It may not even be so much the message as the handling of the process. But if you want to get a handle on this, go and listen to Casino Economics, which was the midweek edition of Chain Reaction Podcast, and also the edition on Supply Side Economics, which is also worth a listen. because. That's where this government's headed. It's all about supply-side economics. It's reworking an experiment that happened in the 1980s, but they've not realised that those plans were for a different country and a different time. It was Thomas Carlyle who called economics the dismal science. And that was after reading Thomas Malthus, an essay on the principles of population as it affects the future of improvement of society. And so dismal in the sense it was delivering bad news to people. Perhaps Hermes might have said, don't shoot the messenger. So that's where the reputation for economics comes from, as the dismal science. The ideas of economists and political philosophers, both when they are right and when they are wrong, are more powerful than is commonly understood. Indeed, the world is ruled by little else. Practical men who believe themselves to be quite exempt from any intellectual influences are usually the slaves of some defunct economist. Madmen in authority who hear voices in the air are distilling their frenzy from some academic scribbler of a few years back. I'm sure that the power of vested interest is vastly exaggerated compared with the gradual encroachment of ideas. So wrote John Maynard Keynes. And today we have the whispers of Hayek and Laffer impacting UK government strategy. It's a return to Thatcherism, Reaganomics, 
of the 1980s. Problem is, circumstances have changed. That country or those countries no longer exist, and the problems they had then are not the same. So why return to the economics of the 1980s? Well, we'd have to ask the UK Prime Minister and Chancellor of the Exchequer that question. No doubt political commentators will be returning to the question over the next few weeks or months ahead. Well, sabotage on the Nord Stream pipelines. Apparently out of Nord Stream 2, it's full of gas. And Nord Stream 1 is the pipeline which has been carrying gas also. But of course, both are closed, but the pipes themselves have a lot of gas in them. And explosions were heard in Nord Stream 1. And NATO have said it's consistent with explosive devices being set to blow the pipes apart. It's not seismic activity. So it looks like a sabotage mission. And most people think the sabotage is down to Russia. Methane is the main gas that's leaking out. It's equivalent to about emissions from 2 million cars. Quite a crass criminal act, whoever performed it. And it's an act of aggression, not just against the pipeline but against the world. In the UK this week, there are all kinds of strikes. There are rail strikes, and they're expected to be ongoing over a period of about 19 days or so. There are also strikes at Liverpool Port. I reported this a few weeks ago, but that strike is continuing, and that's causing disruption to shipping and of course to cargo movements from the ships in Liverpool. And that's likely to hit all kinds of supply chains with those goods not moving as they should. And the offer that's been made by Peel Port, which is the owner of the port, is insufficient according to the union. So this is going to rumble on. The Unite Union has said that there'll be further strikes at the port of Liverpool from October the 11th through to October the 17th. And this could affect some of the Christmas trade in the run-up to the Christmas period. The United States is the top trade partner with the Port of Liverpool. It represents about 30% of the business volume. And approximately $1 billion in trade is moved weekly at Liverpool. Unite is the union representing the dock workers. And they've been currently engaged in a two-week strike, which ends Sunday. But there's more to come. Peel Ports is to increase wages by 8.3% in combination with a one-off payment of £750. But according to the union, that's not sufficient. There are mounting labour issues linked to inflation at UK ports, with workers at the nation's biggest ports in Felixstowe also beginning a strike this week. They had a previous one in August, which was reported on the Chain Reaction podcast. So, more trouble in the ports. The airline EasyJet reported plans to ditch carbon offsetting and instead invest in new technologies as it seeks to reach net zero by 2050. Carbon offsetting means a company compensates for its own emissions by paying to stop them elsewhere. So, for example, planting trees. Environmental groups 
have criticised the practice and called it greenwashing, allowing companies to avoid taking steps to take proper action. EasyJet has insisted it will continue its most ambitious plan for an airline to tackle emissions, while it continues to partner with firms on exploring new technologies. I think this is probably the start of a trend, and we'll likely see more airlines invest in technologies that prevent emissions, and carbon offsetting will probably become a thing of the past in the way it works today, because they'll be doing something that's real, a real action, to stop carbon emission before it happens. So you won't be able to just pass your pollution problem to somebody else anymore by simply paying money to plant trees elsewhere through these carbon emission taxes or payments. You'll have to tackle the real problem, the cause, and do something about it. And you'll have to design systems and technologies that get rid of the pollution before it's even emerged. In other words, prevent it. It's not just in Liverpool, of course, where we've got uh, labor union problems. They're also in the United States, in Oakland and Seattle-Tacoma ports. Tensions are rising because the port has handed work to another union. And there are concerns that cargo handling has been reduced as a result of the worker disruptions. So there's an argument between the unions and the management. Labour negotiations between the ILWU and the Pacific Maritime Association representing terminals and ocean carriers are about to enter a fourth month. Dock workers have been working without contracts since July. So, will that one get resolved anytime soon? In the United States, it's official. New York is now the number one port. Well, New York and New Jersey. Let's give credit where it's due. And it's benefited from the disruptions at Los Angeles and Long Beach. So the flow of trade is moving away from the West Coast to the East. There's a song there somewhere, isn't there? From the West Coast to the East. Yeah. And management teams are worried that a labor strike or a lockout might happen on the West Coast. New York and New Jersey moved about 843,191 TEUs, and Long Beach, 806,940 TEUs, export and import. So the cargo volumes are bigger now in New York and New Jersey. How long this will remain the case? Well, who knows? Now, I'd just like to give a plug to the Casino Economics edition of Chain Reaction. And that's a report about all things happening in the UK economy since the new Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer took over from the previous Prime Minister and Chancellor of the Exchequer. And you've already heard me talk about that. It's caused all kinds of chaos in the market and it's a bit like a gambling casino. So why don't you stop by and take a listen? to Casino Economics. And alongside that, you will to also listen to the edition on supply-side economics. And that will tell you what you need to know about what's going on in the UK economy at present. 
Now, we've had lots of disruption in supply chains for the past couple of years, and the pandemic was where it all began. And just as we were emerging from the disruptions caused by the pandemic, we had Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine, which just turned the clock back again and caused even more disruption. And it's created massive costs for Western economies. But we know he doesn't like the West because he's raging about it all the time now. But while all this has been going on, ocean carriers have continued sailing the waves, bringing the goods with those container boxes. And despite all the disruption, Maersk is now the second largest shipping company in the world, and it reported second quarter profits in 2022 of $21.7 billion. And that's a 52% increase compared to the same period in 2021. So net profits at $8.6 billion for that quarter breaks the record, and $15.4 billion for the first half of the year. Hapag Lloyd is the world fifth biggest container line, and they also have revenues of $18.6 billion, with a net profit of $9.5 billion. And that's more than three times the previous year. So all these container shipping companies are still making a lot of money. And so uh, that's a good thing, I think, in terms of they're able to do that through their investment. So the good companies will make money through their planning and through their hard work, as well as some fortune as well. But I suppose if you if you work hard and you, you're prepared to get things moving, then you deserve some reward, don't you? And it keeps people employed. It keeps investment in the goods and services sector. So, all good, I think. And, of course, they need to contribute taxes too, don't they, to the public purse. Hurricane Ian, of course, has been causing havoc in the United States on the East Coast, particularly in Florida and in the Carolinas, in the past week. And that, of course, is disrupting transportation. So it's making life difficult for all the logistic management companies, the truck drivers and the shipping companies and everybody that works in supply chains, causing a lot of damage. And of course, people have died. So we hope that that situation resolves itself fairly quickly and that people can get back to normal as soon as is possible. This week I came across an article that said that China was about to ramp up oil production as demand rebounds. And that's probably a sign that some of the major cities and some of the industries are coming out of lockdown in China after COVID. So that could put pressure on oil prices. And Europe's scramble to get hold of LNG with Nord Stream pipelines out of commission have put pressure on the oil tanker market so I'm guessing that's going to push up prices for tanker shipments. And Russia this week claimed that the EU sanctions are preventing Turkstream pipeline maintenance. So that's yet another pipeline under pressure. 
geopolitical risks are still very high in the energy markets because of Russia's invasion in Ukraine and all the shenanigans going on. I mean, it's uncertain whether Russia are destroying their own pipelines as a strategic weapon to say there won't be any oil coming out of Russia into the EU for some time. Putin's already been raging, talking about the West. He's held sham referendums in Ukraine. And of course, some of the stories coming out of Ukraine say that many voters in that sham referendum were held at gunpoint to make the decision. Well, not much choice there then. Apparently only a small percentage of the population that voted in those referendums, and he's annexed four regions. Nobody recognises the four regions he's annexed, of course. Everyone still thinks they belong to Ukraine. So it's some crazy stuff going on. And there's tensions rising back home in Russia too, as unrest, the biggest exodus out of Russia is not by a mobilising army, but by people running away, fearful of what comes next. I'm guessing that the arms industry and defence systems are probably cranking up production right now with the war in Ukraine and, of course, other disturbances around the world. And I just read that Germany is about to supply Ukraine with our defence systems within days. So that should aid the effort against the invader. Poland's supply of gas is coming from Norway and Denmark in a new Baltic pipeline, which can supply 10 billion cubic metres per day. Russia cut gas supplies to Poland back in April because Poland refused to pay in rubles, you may remember. It was reported by Reuters that hundreds of ride-hailing app drivers in Barcelona and other Spanish cities could lose their jobs this week when a deadline for new rules covering these services expires. Spain's regional governments were told to issue new rules for private cars transporting passengers hired through mobile platforms such as Uber, Bolt and local rival Cabify after protests from taxi drivers over unfair competition. Some regions such as Madrid and Andalusia are allowing the drivers to continue to operate as before but others such as Barcelona introduced more restrictive measures. Many of the drivers involved said they'll continue to offer their services while applying to try and meet the new requirements. President Xi Jinping hailed the development of China's first medium-haul passenger jet as the embodiment of the country's drive towards self-sufficiency, according to Reuters. It has approval to fly and the C919 is designed to compete with single-aisle models such as the Airbus and Boeing planes. It's due to be delivered by the end of this year. It has its airworthy certificates, and Nigeria said it would consider buying the plane for its new airline, Nigeria Air. They're looking to add about 30 planes to their fleet. On a separate note in the airline industry this week, Russia 
has lost its UN Aviation Council seat in the rebuke. They failed to win enough votes for re-election to the UN's Aviation Agency, which is a governing council. It needed 86 votes to stay on the 36-nation governing council. The rebuke is for Russia illegally confiscating hundreds of foreign jets. This is a charge denied by Moscow. Greece and Bulgaria have opened a long-delayed gas pipeline on Saturday this week, and that should decrease Southeast Europe's dependence on Russian gas, boosting energy security. It's 182 kilometres, the pipeline, and it provides Bulgaria, which has been struggling to secure gas supplies at affordable prices since the end of April, with the supply of gas. Bulgaria was also denied access to gas as a result of refusing to pay in rubles. All in all, this should impact on Russia's economy too, as Europe moves away from that dependency. Of course, what we'd like to see in the future is a dependency on fossil fuel reduced substantially. The interconnect to Greece-Bulgaria pipeline will transport 1 billion cubic metres of Azeri gas to Bulgaria. It has a capacity of 3 billion cubic metres, and it will plan to raise this by a further 2 billion cubic metres so it can supply gas to neighbouring Serbia, North Macedonia, Romania and Moldova and Ukraine. There was a request from China to Moderna to reveal the technology for the COVID vaccine and Moderna have rejected it, obviously because it's their intellectual property and they expect to earn future income from it. And another piece of news on the same topic is that China have also developed their own MRN COVID vaccine, which is being produced in Indonesia. There is a report in Le Parisien that the head of car maker Stellantis, Carlo Tavares, thinks that the semiconductor supply chain will remain tight until the end of next year. The full interview is in that newspaper and you can get that if you're interested and follow that one up. Although US consumer spending has rebounded, high inflation is still cooling demand. So that's still a very similar picture to what's happening in Europe, including the United Kingdom. The electric van maker Arrival has missed quarterly production goals. This is a small UK company. And it's quite a success story, but they're having some difficulty hitting those production goals at present. You might remember I reported on this in an edition about electric cars last year. They say they're on target to hit the goals by the end of 2022, but the supply chain has been broken and it's been quite difficult. That seems to be the picture of many auto manufacturers at present, that supply chains have been difficult. Well, that's the news roundup for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the edition. Lots to pack in and lots of difficult supply chain issues affected by what's happening in the news, as you can see. Now, I'd just remind you to stop by if you want to find out what's been happening in the United Kingdom with the special edition I did on casino economics. You might want to stop by and pick that one up. You might want to also listen to Strategies for Growth 
and you might also want to listen to Supply Side Economics and any other episodes that you've not managed to grab so far. I'll be back next time with another special edition and there's a future edition coming up on plastic pollution which many of you will be interested in. So I'll see you then. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.